Hi, welcome back to Who We Are. My name is Aiden Bassett, and I'm the opinion editor. And my name is Kat Schock, and I'm the deputy opinion editor. And on this, our second episode of Who We Are, we're going to discuss queer characters and narratives in film, television, the arts as a whole. And among the topics we're going to touch on are the portrayal of queer characters, whether it's done by straight actors or queer actors or cisgender actors or transgender actors, the quality of narratives around queer characters. So the ones that center on violence and tragedy versus on, you know, success, joy, connection. Um, we're also going to talk about the over-sexualization of queer characters, queer stories, um, and lots of other things. And we're going to touch on hopefully as many different examples as Kat and I have to mind. Um, one of the first things I, I thought to bring up when we were discussing this episode was Pose, which I think Kat and I both have only seen maybe a few episodes of each. Um, and I'm currently watching with my girlfriend. And the reason I think Pose is a great example to start with is it feels in many ways like the culmination of tons and tons of progress over the years about queer narratives, about how to treat queer characters, how to center queer stories. Um, and I know many people have, um, you know, rightly feted Pose for having maybe not a majority of its cast, I'm not quite sure, but a plurality of its cast, I think at the very least, who are... Um, queer actors of color or particularly trans women of color. Um, and it's it's a phenomenal example, both of representation and in many case, cases, um, really rich stories, sincere ones that don't rely over much on cliches or are really grounded in historical accuracy. Um, for people who have seen Paris is Burning, um, much of the setting of Pose will seem very familiar. All the language, all the niche vocabulary of the New York City um, drag scene and queer scene. Um, so I thought, I, I thought we'd jump off there. Um, and I'm curious to hear, Kat, whether you feel like um, Pose from what parts of it you have seen or other stories, um, whether you think they represent success in queer narratives or if you think there are kind of classic failures um, that Pose and, and other pieces you can think of are, are maybe still guilty of. Yeah, I think that you're totally right when you say that, I don't know, it represents almost like a culmination of what the queer community has fought for for a long time in terms of presenting characters, especially uh, queer characters as real human beings, like, mm -hmm. you know, as like fully well-rounded people and characters, not just um, some generic sim with like, a queerness attached to it right. having all that queerness be all that defines them um i super unfortunately have only seen one episode of pose but i have seen this um documentary on netflix called disclose mm, um right, kind right, of, right. yeah like then i think that that doc really shows how the evolution of representation has you know taken so so long but finally we have these shows like like Pose or um, movies like Moonlight, shows like The Fosters or Tales of the City where like yeah. these queer characters are centered and they're freaking human beings. Like we're real people. Oh my gosh. Well, I think one of the most interesting things about having queer characters in so many stories in, in television and film today, I mean, you mentioned Moonlight as well, 
I think one of the great shifts in a cultural understanding of any you know, marginalized group is whether you decide they are worth being secondary characters, they're the trope of the gay best friend or something like that, or if you believe their stories are worth being the whole narrative. They are the protagonist. They are the central character whose motivations and concerns and fundamental desires are the story. And I think the beautiful thing about Moonlight too, for example, is it it demonstrates lots of dimensions of a queer character's life that are not about being queer or that are about being queer in very indirect ways. So without trying to spoil Moonlight for people, you know, multiple characters seem to really violently repress their sexuality, that the fact that they are gay is intolerable to them in many ways. And it's also irrefutable and it causes them, you know, profound loneliness, but it's also, they go about really normal lives. And in some ways, Moonlight is an inescapably queer film, but it also does a really wonderful job of demonstrating how queer characters are human beings first and queer additionally, and not the other way around, that they are the gay best friend and also maybe have a story. They are they are really fully fleshed out human beings. And I think that's definitely one of the biggest pieces of progress um, in, in queer cinema, in queer television that that I can think of in our lifetimes, for sure. I think that Glee, as a show with characters like yeah. Santana and Brittany and Unique, also um, has you know really illustrates that well. Yeah. Especially since um, the actors that portrayed them fought for accurate and like realistic representations of queer mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, although Glee has its own issues, um, yeah. I think that that show and also I don't know. For me, when you contrast them with movies like love simon and even like mm-hmm. the recent series love victor wherein like um the characters battle about queerness is the entire story i think mm-hmm. those I, I feel like those stories are still important to tell but the the undivided focus on like oh will they or won't they come out are right. they gay? Right. are they bi what is their journey like that fixation really, I don't know, troubles me. What do you think about that? Well, I feel like it's very analogous, uh, analogous to how, you know, Hollywood is famous for hypersexualized depictions of women and especially kind of terribly distorted depictions of women on the part of male directors or male screenwriters. And I feel like in, in the sexism and misogyny of those depictions, you really get a sense of the male gaze of men want to see women doing certain things in certain capacities and very sexual capacities. And that's the point is women are there for, for the male consumption. And I also feel like, you know, not to disparage love Simon too much, but I definitely feel like stories where, you know, and again, these are, these are young adults or teens who understandably, as you know, as we talked about last time are coming to terms with their sexuality. So maybe it's more salient than it will be if, you know, if you caught up with Simon 20 years later or something. But I do feel like you get the same effect on queer characters when their sexuality, their journey with their sexuality is the whole story. You get you get a real sense of like the straight gaze, if you will, of like, this is what people who aren't queer really believe or really are interested in seeing about queer lives is just, well, you clearly must be thinking about this all the damn time. And 
there's really nothing else to your life other than, gosh, are you gay? And if you are, how are you going to tell everybody? Because clearly that's the thing they really want to know about you. So in, in some ways, I, I agree that it's great when queer characters can be the protagonist, but I also think you can still have a queer protagonist and reduce them to their sexuality. And, you know, there's there's ways to do that well and there's ways to do that poorly. And I think that's especially problematic when um, for young kids or teens that are figuring themselves out, <clears throat> they see these representations and these struggles and, mm-hmm. oh, um, the only interesting thing about me is my queerness so much so yeah. that all these shows and movies only focus on whether these queer characters think that they're queer or not like that's really problematic though I don't know queer representation for kids and youth I think about Legend of Korra mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if you've seen that but at the very end she I've seen a few and, episodes yeah she and another female character they um you know grasp each other's hands and walk into yeah. this portal and it's really unclear whether or not they actually end up together like there's mm-hmm. no on-screen kiss there's nothing explicit like that because i think that nickelodeon was like oh gosh what they if, censored what if, it like, yeah. yeah exactly like they're they're taking away from those queer experiences but at the same time you know a more recent show like steven universe i mm-hmm. think is the one mm-hmm. with a bunch of like yeah like really out and proud like oh yeah. they're they're queer characters and this is a role model that i as a young child growing up in the u.s can look up to because wow they're they're a queer hero like they mm-hmm. are my hero yeah you know and legend of korra isn't that old it's you know certainly newer than avatar the last airbender which was its predecessor series but i think even just the compare and contrast i also don't know exactly how old steven universe is but my sense is it's more recent and i think you get a sense of even just in the last decade or so shows that are a little older will censor queer romance as you know in a in a long tradition of in the same way that back in the 50s and 60s gay individuals were you know when they were labeled as having mental disorders or they were considered like innately pedophiles there was something seen as fundamentally perverse and and dirty about homosexuality and so like it absolutely wouldn't be fit for children in a way that avatar the last airbender at the end there's a heterosexual kiss between two characters and you know generally it's it's children's television it's it's all on the whole pretty banal and anodyne and even prudish at times um but i think it is interesting how subtly that censorship even just a few years ago gave probably implied to kids the sense that if you're going to be sexual and be queer you're doing something wrong there is something fundamentally that shouldn't be seen about that um and so i i very much agree that it's great that we have more shows like Steven Universe that are just treating it as a fact of life, not as something that needs to be hidden or that shouldn't be seen. Um, and I think that transformation is, is really excellent, especially for kids' television, which I feel like in many ways is, is the first place where you encounter meaningful ideas about the world is on TV as a kid, because all you do is go to elementary school <laughs> and come home. So you're not exactly getting tons of representation um, of, of what real life is like, except for from media sources. I also feel like one of the things that I think Steven Universe, I I don't quite know who the voice actors are or anything, but I I definitely feel like, going back to Glee, as you mentioned, some characters, like Chris Golfer, for example, are in fact gay, just like the characters they portray. 
And I think that also really changes the portrayal. Like, for me, in middle school, I think I looked at least somewhat like Chris Golfer, and I would forever be compared to him. Like, the first time anyone met me in sixth or seventh grade, they would ask me, have you seen Glee? You really remind me of Kurt, which was the least subtle way possible they had to say, wow, you really seem gay, pal. Um, (laughs) Pal. Right, well. I don't know if I'm yeah. necessarily that forceful about it, but I think it's um, it's a meaningful difference when you have queer characters portrayed by queer actors and, and to a further extent, like queer directors making queer films and stuff. Like, I don't know much about the, you know, the screenwriters or direction of Moonlight, but I definitely think that probably the way, in general, I would imagine most films get to capturing queer stories with elegance with precision with heart and nuance are they have queer people involved in crafting those stories either you know i don't believe mahershala ali is gay but you know i think having gay performers present gay stories is a powerful thing not necessarily an essential thing like you know i i always mention to people how much i love the birdcage just just worship it (laughs) and nathan lane of course is you know been openly gay for I don't know how long Um, but Robin Williams to my knowledge wasn't um, queer and in some ways I feel like the interesting thing about that story is Nathan Lane is the more flamboyant cliche portrayal of a gay character even though he himself is the theoretically three-dimensional gay human and Robin Williams portrayal is much more measured and you know it certainly still plays into tropes and stereotypes but I feel like That's an example of a film where you didn't need to have queer characters portrayed by queer actors in order to have what I think is ultimately, yeah, a a rich and engaging and beautiful and heartfelt story, which in some ways is doesn't really center queerness in the way that you might want it to, but it's still a wonderful and I think ultimately constructive movie. I think it is constructive and it represents progress in 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 a way. But I honestly yeah. think that having queer actors portray queer characters is something that's so important. Yeah, it's almost like definitely. a sort of dual representation, like, right. damn, they're awesome on screen and off. They're awesome yeah. gay or bi or trans on screen and off. Like, they they not only rock, rock, like, rock you entertain, entertainment-wise <laughs> on right. screen, but also, like, in the real world. And I don't know, I feel like, that was kind of problematic in terms of like, I don't know, Love, Simon, mm-hmm. where, you know, the main character is, you know, straight in the real world. And in Glee, the two, I think that the, the two trans characters on the show, Unique and Coach Beast, um, I think the char- the actor that plays Unique is non-binary in the real world, yeah. but like neither of them are actually trans. And per I feel se, like, yeah. yeah, like there's something that you can't, you can't get a holistic, real like capital r real representation of a trans or gay or pan character unless they're actually portrayed by someone who like identifies that way and you know there's a current debate about having um like um white actors or voice actors voice you know people of color or in in cartoon shows and i i don't know i think that the same rule applies here like yeah yeah i also think it's not always the case that 
queer actors are going to better portray queer characters. But, you know, going back to Pose as well, Billy Porter owns and embodies his role (laughs) in a way that, I mean, Billy Porter has been a sensation since Kinky Boots and has been, you know, rightly celebrated for the excellence of of his career in a lot of different roles. So obviously he is just a very capable performer. And frankly, I would trust him in lots of roles that don't necessarily have to be queer. But I also feel like you're touching on something really excellent, which is that like Brokeback Mountain is a great film. I really like Brokeback Mountain. I'm I'm like getting to watch Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger be passionately in love in, in a deeply repressed and also incredibly steamy way is is fantastic i mean it's it's terribly entertaining and also i really wonder to myself if they found two actors who you know how niche is it to a have grown up gay in the 70s and also be in hollywood like how realistic is it to find people who have the lived experience of the characters they portray all the time probably pretty unrealistic and I think it's not again the job of an actor is to take on the role and do the role with excellence irrespective of their own story like lots of actors are come from affluent acting families and so they're not going to have you know the most diverse set of experiences but I do feel like that's an example of yeah Brokeback Mountain was good without necessarily any real queer actors in in the film but I, I think typically it's more like I would say Billy Porter is the rule that queer actors do well as queer characters. And Brokeback Mountain is more the exception that Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger were very capable. Ah, oh, yes, capable. <laughs> but I don't think it's generally the case that straight actors are likely to portray a queer character in a way that has no stereotypes, no cliches. Exactly, yeah. Has that nuance. Yeah. I just, I don't know, to my core, I, I think that the industry should take it upon themselves to find that yeah. queer talent. Definitely. I just think that there's something inherently messed up with, I don't know, like, for example, watching Dallas Buyers Club, um, yeah. the character Rayon is played by Jared Leto, I think, yep. and um, Rayon is, you know, a transgender woman, and I don't know, seeing, seeing, and then seeing Jared Leto with his, you know, full on beard stand up to accept like Academy Awards yeah. and Golden Globe Awards for his role in that movie. Like, yeah. that's just, I, it just feels wrong to me. And I feel like it would be wrong to whatever, what, like, you know, trans fans of the character in the movie watching. Right. But I don't know. I feel like we should, we should maybe talk about like where we think that the industry should take should improve yeah like how can they find that talent because i mean a i'm sure that there are so many aspiring like queer and actors out there yeah exactly so what can the industry do to improve itself well i think not to cite pose as the perfect solution to all things but i think one of the reasons pose maybe has an easier time of it is I think the number of young actors, young performers who are just getting their start, are not well established, who can make a career in stories like that, I, I think is just so different from like, I, you know, when you think of Transparent with Jeffrey Tambor por- portraying a transgender character, I think 
yes, like on some hand, probably it was hard 50, 60 years ago to get into, well, I guess I should say 30, 40 years ago to get into acting schools and be openly gay and like how much training, how much support, you know, how much safety was afforded to aspiring queer actors, probably slim to none. And so, like, it makes sense to me that the number of openly queer performers who are available to portray older queer characters is pretty limited. And that's definitely not an excuse, but I think it's also an explanation for why, like, you get you get tons of, like, very Fire Island energy films and TV shows where you just presume that all characters, all queer characters are very young, very sexualized. And you get very few of the, what's it like to be 65 and gay? Like, what's it what's it like to, you know, be near hospice with a gay parent or something like that? You just, you're going to get fewer of those stories, which is why I think Pose, in some ways, set itself up for success. Because there are so many young, aspiring queer actors with incredible talent, incredible ability. And I think it's much easier to tell stories of younger queer people not just because there are more openly queer actors these days, but just because those stories, I I think, are ones Hollywood feels comfortable doing. It knows how to tell stories that involve lots of, like, sex and drama. And, you know, like, Hollywood can't stand older characters having fulfilling sexual relationships. So I think in some ways, if... Hollywood is leaning into the sexualization of characters. That's why it's easier to have younger characters portrayed by younger queer actors. Yeah, I see that, especially. I mean, with blue is the warmest color. I feel like we as a community just collectively cringe when we think about that movie. Maybe, honestly, maybe documentaries is the way to go. I I don't know if you've... I, I think Netflix has a new documentary about like an, like an older lesbian couple that... Mm-hmm. Like I think it's called a secret love mm. that kind of um, like it kind of details their you know queer heckin journey through time and what it's like for them yeah. to be you know like retired and queer and finding a like retirement community and like hey we're queers do you guys are you guys mad about that like yeah I don't know I feel like documentaries are so powerful in so many ways and I think yeah. in terms of like amplifying queer voices that's a great way to do it because it's it's so direct and immediate another issue i think that comes up with uh, i don't know like straight or cis actors playing queer or trans characters is Mm -hmm. like this fixation on whether that like actor is actually queer or not like everyone's like yeah oh like is 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 he gay because well like this corner of twitter is thirsting for the so-and-so character like over here what do you think about that well i feel like i mean i don't know much about twitter thirsting but i have to imagine (laughs) that a good proportion of the people like me who passionately want Harry Styles to be bi <laughs> yes are themselves queer and so I would say the queer community is nothing if not very online and I think that it's you know of course you're going to have excitement from young queer fans who are like celebrity x y or z like please like join the club I feel like there's there's definitely the the tabloid angle of like 
is blank celebrity gay? How do they handle it? Like, has it disrupted their life? Like, there's, there's definitely the, we're milking this celebrity's personal life for tabloid fodder. We are cheapening the discussion. Like, there's definitely going to always be that element of the dialogue. But I also think one of the things about, you know, increasing queer acceptance, especially for people who are very online on Twitter, things like that, is that the queer community is now voicing its desires of like, no, really, if you are queer, you can totally come out. We're here for that. That's the kind of like, that's the good content. Show up, be queer. Um, Show up, be queer. Love it. Right. I, I also feel like personal lives definitely are just always going to be interesting. That's yeah. like, those those are the kinds of things that are going to show up in the media, in interviews and features. And, you know, if you if you read any major periodical that has an art section or something, the, the chances that they're going to say, like, you know, people have intimated for years that you're gay. Mm-hmm. Are you? Maybe not super high but i definitely feel like that discussion is going to come up and in some ways i feel like i don't know maybe my whole view of queer issues is filtered through time and age but i just feel like you know again the media speculates and even twitter speculates very differently based on whether actors or you know performers of any kind are young or old like I never encountered a ton of speculation about Kevin Spacey's sexuality. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, like, of course, Kevin Spacey botches his coming out by using it as an excuse for sexual assault and things like that. So, you know, there are good ways and bad ways to come out. But I definitely feel like, I don't know, I think that, I think some some of that speculation, especially when it comes from queer people being like, you know, you could join the club. Is <laughs> We would welcome you here. <laughs> yeah, like, like Harry Styles, come on over to the dark side. We have cookies, you know, is is fun and good natured. And, you know, I like I think there's there's always queer baiting in the media. And yet. I think when it comes from the right place, like the the thirsting is, I don't know, like I'm a fan I want I want to read more articles speculating about why Harry Styles lyrics imply that he's into X Y Z things that are obviously like like queer constellations in the stars. Like we just we just want it to be true. We're dreaming. So, We're hoping. Yeah. I yeah. I I relate to that so much though. Like I love me a gay show. Honestly, sometimes like if I hear that a show has some kind of queer story arc or queer actor involved, I'm just like, I've got to see it, like, for the community. But also at the same time, like, for me, I don't know, seeing queer representations on screen, like, it just fills my heart in a way that is almost undescribable. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just, I see myself in Korra. I see myself in, you know, characters on The Politician and Love, Victor and Glee mm-hmm. and Sex Education. Like, I'm just like, that's freaking me. Like, they're they're explaining an experience that I don't publicly often talk about or discuss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. lol, this podcast. But, like, it, it it's so valuable to me in a very, like, particularly <laughs> indescribable way. Yeah. I You know, I feel like it's really interesting how the the vocabulary for queer identities is also like i encountered 
most of it through media. Like I didn't, I didn't just have a bunch of 15 year old peers who, when they were like, yeah, we're coming out. We're like super ready to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm like super butch, you know, like they're just, (laughs) there's, there's a whole language that exists that we have as heritage from like older queer culture from, you know, like handkerchief codes and all the different like the nomenclature for what exact kind of gay you are you're a Mm -hmm. twink you're an otter you're a bear and I feel like in in many ways we are indebted to media for keeping some of that language alive but I Mm -hmm. think we're also keeping some of those stereotypes alive like I think queer millennials queer gen z people just have because there are more of us who are out and safe in places where our lives and rights are increasingly accepted and respected, I think there's there's more richness to newer stories to like, I think Legend of Korra, she's like, Korra's just a cool character. Like she's yeah. just impressive. She's got chutzpah and yeah, I feel she's like a hero. She's a badass with a bye bob. Like we all should have seen it coming. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I I I think queer characters do a lot of good things to their viewers that are more than just communicate stereotypes or a lack thereof. And I especially feel like for newer shows, newer media, you get increasingly positive presentations of like queer actors succeeding by having breakout films or things like that. And you also get really good examples of queer characters that have that, that richness. I feel like older films, older stories, you know, I'm watching this, this TV show that's set in the sixties in a spy agency. And one of the characters, his boss finds out he's gay. His boss blackmails him, makes him do all sorts of humiliating, degrading things because it was a secret that just could never come out. Like it was just so understood to be the kind of offense that would, you know, maybe not then in France get you put to death, but it would get you considered, you know, mentally handicapped, like somehow sick. And I just think one of the things I really resent about, you know, there's so many like cliches and tropes about queer characters never live. They never survive in films. They always, they always... That's the coded message is that you're like being queer is a dangerous thing. You shouldn't do it. It's a sign that you're bad. It's a sign that you're evil. And so, you know, like Disney's famous, for example, for coding all its villains as queer and things like that. And I think that as we lose older stories, older time frames, like, sure, there are always going to be historical pieces about what it was like to be gay during World War II. Mm-hmm. But I think the more we tell new stories, fresh stories, more contemporary ones, the more likely you're to get better, richer narratives, less violence, less implication that queer lives have to be tragic, have to involve contracting AIDS or being, you know, beaten to death or, you know, deprived of your loved ones, you know, thrown from your home. I think, you know, obviously presenting some of that is presenting history honestly, but I think there's a fine line between presenting history honestly and presenting it gratuitously in a way that implies that to be queer is to suffer instead of to be queer is to face adversity and overcome. 
I feel like that's a good ending point. That oh. was beautiful. Oh, wow. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess we, we did another wonderful episode of Who We Are. Um, next episode, I think we're planning on talking about history and representation in other contexts that aren't the arts. But thanks, Kat. It was really a delight to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you, Aiden. And thank and, you all. Yeah. Join us next time. We'd oh, wait, love to wait. have you back. Wait, before you stop, could we low-key just like list off a bunch of queer shows and movies that we recommend? I feel like that'd be Oh, cute. yeah. That's a great idea. Um, Aiden, what are you watching? What's gay well, that you're watching? <laughs> right now, I'm definitely watching Pose. I would say I liked Kat's earlier recommendation about docs. I think Paris is burning. I think the more you can get actual queer history and not merely like I watched a pseudo documentary that was, you know, really just fictitious um, about Stonewall and it was super whitewashed and it, like, again, always centered around the the stereotypical like white twinks who's 21 and freshly thrown from his home and things like that i think the more documentaries people are willing to watch or interested in watching the more you're going to get the best purest version of history and not merely more of the kind of fictitious representations which are likely to be skewed so maybe also things like the death and life of marsha p johnson yes um yeah, and while we're on the subject of the, you know, the arts generally, like literature has tons of great options. I, I would totally recommend people, especially now, read And the Band Played On. Um, what are your recommendations, Kat? Oh, in terms of books, I most recently read The Great Believers, which is like kind of about um, art and AIDS. Um, in terms of movies and shows, I love Legend of Korra, even though the queerness really comes at the tail end. Um, I think Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which is like a a newer show, has a great, fabulous non-binary character. The Politician has great Mm -hmm. representation. Um, The Half of It, ooh, so cute, so good. Um, Forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Moonlight, always. Loki Carol too. I know that one's kind of problematic, but I think it was a really good movie. Wow. Um, and Alex Strangelove, which I think is a Netflix original movie, but uh, it be. kind of yeah, like it so accurately like represented how I felt in high school coming out. So I think that's also a gem. Yeah, I would super encourage people to find queer classics as much as I've bashed them this episode as being outdated (laughs) and, you know, violent and negative and tragic. I really think, especially for people who are willing to take a critical look at older films, older pieces of art and say, yes, there are flaws here, but what did it do at the time? I would say films like The Birdcage are, you know, certainly we can call them imperfect now, reductive, all sorts of things. But at the time, you know, just getting queer characters and queer actors, openly queer actors on screen was a big deal in the 90s, you know? So yeah. I think I think definitely um, older arts, older film. Like, watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show if you haven't. Like, yes, oh snaps to that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, also well, milk. Sorry, I got excited. Okay, yeah. yes. Aiden, to end it. <laughs> we, got, we got to wrap it up. We got, we got to let the listeners go. Well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Who We Are, and we will be back later in the week. 